This video is brought to you by Devout Decals, makers of reusable Catholic art for your home altar, your bedroom, and your home classroom. Blessed Sunday to you. I have for you today a bonus video. I never planned to get in the habit of two videos a day on Sundays, but lately that's just how it's been. And I have something for you that I think is more appropriate to a Sunday anyway, though here Archbishop Vigano does more than touch on the crisis in the church. He talks about a feast that often gets overlooked for in the uh, modern calendar and in the church today, and that is the Feast for the Chair of St. Peter, which was just a couple of days ago. This homily was written and released on the late on the 18th for the feast day, which happened a couple of days ago, but I think it's good for us to hear this from him. It was only written in Italian, at least at the time that I'm recording this for you. So I have a, I ran this through a translator called DeepL, which is widely considered to be the best free online translator. Uh, if I didn't put a link to it in the pinned comment to this or at returntotradition.org, let me know in the comments. I'll try to fix that. It'll be in Italian, but you can run it through the translator yourself and read it if you like. Anyway, enough for me on that. Let's get to Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano. Here is his homily for the chair of St. Peter, Lambed by apostasy and heresy. Praised be Jesus Christ. Today in the church in Rome celebrates the feast of the chair of St. Peter, by which the authority of our Lord conferred on the prince of the apostles finds its symbol and ecclesial expression in the chair. We find traces of this celebration as far back as the third century, but it was at the time of the Lutheran heresy that Paul IV in 1588, established that the feast of the Catedra Qua Primum Rome Sedit Petrus should take place on January 18th, in response to the denial of the apostles' presence in the Urbe. The other feast for the chair of the first diocese founded by St. Peter, Antioch, is celebrated by the Universal Church on February 22nd. Let me point out this important aspect to you. Just as the human body develops defenses at the onset of an affliction so that it can defeat it when it is afflicted by it. So the ecclesial body defends itself against the affliction of error as it arises, affirming more incisively those aspects of dogma threatened by heresy. This is why, with great wisdom, the church proclaimed truths of faith at certain times and not before, since those truths were hitherto believed by the faithful in a less explicit and articulate form and did not yet need to be specified. The denial of Arius of the divine nature of our Lord is answered by the sacred canons of the Ecumenical Council of Nicaea and echoed by, echoed by the splendid compositions of the ancient liturgy. The denial of the sacrificial value of the Mass, transubstantiation, suffrages and indulgences is answered by the sacred canons of the Tridentine, and with them the sublime text of the liturgy. The denial of the founding of the Diocese of Rome by the Apostle Peter in an anti-papal key is answered by today's feast day, desired by Paul IV, precisely to reaffirm the historical truth contested by the Protestants and to reinforce the doctrine derived from it. In the opposite way, the act of heretics and their neo-modernist epigones have been infesting the Church of Christ for 60 years now, and where they do not brazenly deny the Catholic magisterium, here they try to weaken it by silencing it, omitting it, 
formulating it in such a way as to make it equivocal and thus acceptable even to those who deny it. This is how the heresiarchs of the past acted. This is how the innovators at Vatican II acted. This is how those act today who, in order not to be accusable of formal heresy, try to wipe out those defenses with which the church was endowed, so as to make the faithful fall into error and twist them with the plague of heresy. Almost everything that growing harmoniously like a child who becomes an adult and is strengthened in body and spirit, the mystical body had wisely developed over the centuries, and particularly during the second millennium of the era of Christ, has been willfully obscured and censored with the deceptive excuse of returning to the primitive simplicity of Christian antiquity, and with the unmentionable purpose of adulterating the Catholic faith to please the enemies of the church. If you take the Montinian Missal, you will find no explicit heresies in it. But if you compare it with the traditional missal, you will find that the omission of so many prayers composed in defense of revealed truth was more than enough to make the Reformed Mass acceptable even to the Lutherans. As they themselves admitted after the promulgation of that funeral and equivocal rite, to confirm this, even the feasts of the chair of St. Peter in Rome and Antioch have been united. In the name of that culture of cancellation that the modernist sect adopted in the ecclesiastical sphere long before the, uh, the same ideological allies in the secular world appropriated it in the civil sphere. Today we celebrate the glories of the papacy, of which is precisely the symbol of the apostolic cathedra that the genius of Bernini artistically composed on the apse altar of the Vatican Basilica, surrounded by the alabaster stained glass window with the Holy Spirit and held up by four doctors of the church, St. Augustine and St. Ambrose for the Latin church, St. Athanasius and St. John Chrysostom for the Greek church. In the original plan, which has remained intact through the centuries, the chair stood over an altar, which the devastating fury of the Novators did not spare, moving it between the apse and the confessional canopy. Yet is precisely in the architectural unity of altar and chair, now deliberately obliterated, that we find the foundation of the doctrine of the primacy of Peter, which is founded on Christ. Lapis angularis, just as the altar of sacrifice, also a symbol of Christ, is of stone. We celebrate the papacy in a historical phase of grave crisis and apostasy, rising up to that throne on which Peter first sat. And while we tear our hearts as we contemplate the ruins caused by the devastation of the innovators to the detriment of so many souls, and the glory of the divine majesty, while we implore from heaven a light that will enable us to understand how to conjugate non bunt with the trickle of heresies and scandals spread by the one whom providence has inflicted on us at the head of the ecclesial body as punishment for the sins committed by the hierarchy in these decades. While we see the division snaking between those who deluded themselves that they still had a pope separated in the monastery and the schism in the dioceses of northern Europe with their ill-fated synodal path strongly desired by Bergoglio, the prophecy of Leo XIII falls before our eyes of happy memory, who wanted to include in the prayer of the exorcism against Satan and apostate angels those tremendous words that at the time must have sounded almost scandalous, but which they today understand in their supernatural sense. Just a note, here he recites this in Latin. My Latin is pretty bad, but I translated it to English for you. Here it is. The church, the bride of the Immaculate Lamb, has been filled with bitterness by the most favored enemies. They have made them intoxicated with absinthe. 
they sent their ungodly hands to all that was desirable. Where the seat of the most blessed Peter and the, church, the chair of truth was established for the light of the nations, there they placed the throne of their abomination and impiety, that they might be able to smite the shepherd and scatter the flock. Terrible enemies have filled the church, bride of the spotless lamb, with bitterness. They have poisoned her with wormwood. They have laid their unholy hands on all desirable things. There, where the seat of the most blessed Peter and the chair of truth was set up to enlighten the nations, there they have set up the throne of their abomination and impiety, so that by cutting down the shepherd they might scatter the flock also. These are not words written at random. They were drafted after Leo XIII, at the end of Mass, had a vision in which the Lord granted Satan a period of time of about a hundred years to test the men of the church. They echoed the message of the Blessed Virgin at La Salette 50 years earlier. Rome will lose the faith and become the seat of the Antichrist. And they proceed by little more than a decade that third part of the secret of Fatima, in which, in all likelihood, Our Lady foretold the apostasy of the hierarchy with the Second Vatican Council and the liturgical reform. Any believer over the centuries has been able to look to Rome as a beacon of truth. No pope, not even the most controversial in history like Alexander VI, ever had the audacity to usurp his own sacred apostolic authority to demolish the church, adulterate its magisterium, corrupt its morals, and trivialize its liturgy. In the most unsettling storms, the chair of Peter has remained unconquered, and despite persecution, it has never failed to fulfill the mandate given to it by Christ. Shepherd my lambs, shepherd my sheep. See the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 15 to 19. Today, for ten years now, shepherding the lambs and sheep of the Lord's flock is regarded by the one who occupies the throne of Peter as, quote, solemn foolishness, and the command the Lord gave the apostles, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. See the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 19 to 20. is seen as deplorable proselytizing, as if the divine mission of the Holy Church were comparable to the heretical propaganda of separated groups. He, meaning... Francis Bergoglio said this on October 1st, 2013, January on the Feast of the Epiphany in 2014, September 24th, 2016, the 3rd of May, 2018, September 30th, 2018, June 6th, 2019, December 20th, 2019, April 25th, 2020, and again this last January 11th. And here collapses the last old-fashioned pomp of what was Vatican II, which made missionary outreach its watchword. Without understanding that to proclaim Christ to a paganized world, one must first believe in the supernatural truths that he taught the apostles, and that the church has the duty to faithfully guard, to water down Catholic doctrine, to keep silent about it, to betray it in order to please the mentality of the century, is not the work of faith, because this virtue is founded on God, who is supreme truth. It is not the work of hope, because one cannot hope for salvation or the help of a God whose revealing authority and saving love one rejects. It is not the work of charity, because one cannot love him whose essence one denies. What is the vulness that has affected the ecclesial body, making the making possible this apostasy of the leadership of the hierarchy to the point of causing scandal not only among Catholics, but also among the people of the world? It is the abuse of authority. 
It is the belief that the power associated with authority can be exercised for the purpose opposite to that which legitimizes authority itself. It is taking the place of God, usurping his supreme power to decide what is right and what is not right, what people can still be told, and what must be considered unfashionable or outdated in the name of progress and evolution. It is using the power of the holy keys to loosen what needs to be bound and bind what needs to be loosened. It is not to understand that authority belongs to God and no one else, and that both the rulers of nations and the prelates of the church are all hierarchically subject to Christ the King and Pontiff. It is, in short, to separate the chair from the altar, the authority of the vicar and regent from that of him who makes it sacred, ratified from above, because he possesses its fullness and is its divine origin. Among the titles of the Roman pontiff occurs, along with Christi Vicarius, that of Serva Servorum Dei. While the former has been disdainfully rejected by Bergoglio, his choice to retain the latter sounds like a provocation, as evidenced by his words and deeds. The day will come when the Prasuli of the church will be asked to clarify what intrigues and what plans could have led to the throne whose act as servants of Satan's servants, and why they have fearfully witnessed his intemperances or made themselves accomplices of his proud, heretical tyrant. Let those who know and who keep silent out of false prudence tremble. By their silence, they do not protect the honor of the Holy Church, nor do they preserve the simple ones from scandal. On the contrary, they plunge the bride of the Lamb into ignominy, and humiliation, and turn the faithful away from the ark of salvation at the very moment of the flood. Let us pray that the Lord will deign to grant us a holy pope and holy rulers. Let us implore him to end this long period of trial, thanks to which, like every event permitted by God, we are understanding how fundamental it is to instaurare omnia in Christo, to recapitulate everything in him, how demonic, literally, is the world that rejects the lordship of Christ, and how even more demonic is the religion that scornfully strips itself of its royal robes, robes dyed with the blood of the Lamb on the cross, to make itself the servant of the powerful, of the new order of our, of our uh, well, elites, and the worldwide separated group that runs it. Tempora bonae vaniat, pax Christi vaniat, regnat Christi vaniat. Amen. Signed, Archbishop Carlo Maria Viganò, on the 18th of January, 2023, on the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter. Bit of a barn burner there, don't you think? He doesn't hold back. And he does this on a, what used to be a major feast day. Not a day that you had to go to Mass. There were only so many of those days in sort of the pre-Vatican II world that they could get people, you know, uh, you know, require people to go to, but still a major feast day nonetheless. One that in Rome was, and I think still is, celebrated with some pomp and circumstance, and for good reason. Chair of St. Peter. The primacy of the papacy is something worth celebrating. The My respect for the office of Pope is why I do this work. It's what motivates me, given what we've seen done to the office of the papacy, not only by this presumed pontiff, but by his predecessors going back to 1958, if not earlier. And he doesn't hold back. He connects it to things going on in the world here. He sees that this is, you know, the evils in the world are connected to the just collapse of faith and morals in the church coming from the very top. He invokes Our Lady of La Salette. Rome will lose the faith and become the seat of Antichrist. Powerful words. Surely we'll get some angry responses from uh, the typical peeps and the typical opponents who like to call him all sorts of wicked things. 
if they bother to notice what he wrote here. Let me know what you thought of this in the comments, please. Like and subscribe if you haven't, it does help. Sharing this on social media helps a lot too. And again, if I didn't share a link either in the pinned comment or at my website at returntotradition.org, let me know in the comments, I'll try to fix that. Even though this is going up on a Sunday, it might be a little while before I manage to, because simply, I have to go to Mass today too. <laughs> so, let me know in the comments, please. And uh, as always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.